Repentance and mercy make for fertile soil. Oh, that's a saying from the uh, mystic tillers, an ancient band of tillers and mystics, I guess. Hey. Hey. Uh, hi. Hey. It's, uh... It's good to be here at the House of Mercy podcast. I'm glad you're listening. If you're listening, welcome. Yeah, this is Sunday service, and this is like in Lent, uh, what, like four or something like that? Lent four, four I think that's yeah, right. Yeah, fourth yeah. week of Lent, moving towards uh, Holy Week, uh, the uh, Stage of the Cross, and uh, Festival of Feast of the Revolution, uh, or Easter. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's an interesting Lent because... You know, it feels like things are getting lighter instead of darker. Like it really does it, feel like we're moving yeah. towards some kind of uh, yeah, something hopeful, something yeah, open. Like resurrection. But it does seem like resurrection. Like literally, things are coming out of the ground that were dead, that are green. I guess not. They're green poking up, and then people are, you know, people are getting vaccinated, and their things are opening up, and you know. Yeah. It's, yeah. And so we're, you're down in Florida, is that right? I am. I'm caretaking for my folks. Oh, okay. I thought you were down there for spring training. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know that you're versatile, and I know that you still probably could hit pretty well for another couple of years. Um, but, oh, it's yeah. with your parents. No, I've retired from my uh, baseball <laughs> career. All right, good. All right. Um, so, yeah, uh, well, what we had coming up here, uh, as we look towards uh, Station of the Cross, we, again, we're going to have a Stations of the Cross service, uh, audio Stations of the Cross, um, and that's going to be available on uh, Friday, Good Friday, the 2nd, and then um, for Easter, Feast of the Revolution, we are going to meet in person. Um, yes. Yeah. One way or the other, right? Rain or shine. Are yeah. we gonna, we're outside if it's nice, but yeah, well, yeah. Maybe, maybe even in if it's raining. In the, in the church. Well, I guess we should talk about no. that. No, <laughs> so. are you kidding me? No, we should talk about that. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think we're. Oh, but hey, inside. we have Dan Newton's yeah. accordion orchestra. It's going to be great music. It is going to be festive. Yes, it will be resurrection ish, revolution ish. It all um, come up and out, and um, new life proclaimed. Yeah, I actually cannot wait for Easter this year. I know it seems like really, uh, I f I feel it, and I'm I will be glad. It would be so amazing too to see all uh, to see people and uh, yeah, celebrate. Um, yeah, are those waves in the background? Did I hear? Uh, no, I'm sitting in the parking lot. Oh, and true, what true. you hear is cars. And actually, it's bike week at Daytona, and we're not far from there. So a lot of motorcycles. Oh, those kind of bikes. 
Yeah. All right. Well, all right. Bike week. I want to say that I'm coming to you from bike week in Daytona. That seems cool. Um, what do you ride? Uh, Harley, oh, of yeah. course. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, what else do we have to announce? Uh, you know, I think that might be it. I think that uh, I think that might be it. So, Debbie. This is the House of Mercy, and welcome to it. Please join me in the prayer of invocation. God of mercy, instead of thinking about what we're doing next, or what we did yesterday, or eight years ago, or where we'll be ten years from now, help us be here and now loving the light or feeling gratitude for breath who's next to us, feeling gratitude for the ground or grass or trees. Help us trust that if you don't condemn us or the world, if your whole being is simply grace, we should be okay, even if the storms rage. Amen. May the peace of Christ be with you.
invite you to join me in the prayers of community. I'll end each prayer or petition with God in your mercy, and I invite you to respond. Hear our prayer. God of mercy, we may not be the best judges of the light that comes into the world. Maybe we are mistaken about what it is sometimes, where it is, how it plays across the expanse of time and eternity. But we pray that you might help us see it. Or even if we don't, enlighten the world more and more. I'd like to ask you to hurry, to be more dramatic, to make things better very soon for all the world that is dying and suffering, for all the injustice and how it seems to come and come some more. But if that is just not your style, help us do what we can while we wait. Protest, march, love, give what we have, give someone a drink or water or something to eat. We pray for this world, everything. Trials, governance, the way we police, what we believe. We pray that white supremacy will come to an end. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God, in mercy, we pray for families, chosen and unchosen, bonds of friendship, marriage, and DNA. Fill us with compassion. Make us capable of forgiveness. It is not that easy to love all the time. We are often prone to being critical or self-righteous or defensive or impatient with other people's humanness, with their frailty or how they are crazy or how they fail to love us or their arrogance, or maybe it's the way their parents wounded them or their generation's tendencies. But we need each other's love and positive regard, kindness and patience. We need to forgive and be forgiven. You seem to have this down pretty well. Help us, teach us, infuse us with love and mercy like yours. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for those who need healing, and for those who are seemingly beyond it, at least in this life, for those nearing death, for those with incurable disease. We pray for moments of warmth and light and happiness and love and trust and feelings of safety, even in the face of death. For those who can be healed, we pray for healing, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for all those who love and cherish David Olson, for Sonia and her family, that they will be assured their love will keep him alive in their hearts and minds. Though they mourn his death, may the knowledge of your infinite love give them confidence that he is in good hands. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. As we pause for silence, help us be aware of what we need to confess, what we need to let go of, what we are grateful for, what we fear.
You forgive us all of our sin. You are gracious and loving. Help us to be not afraid. Amen. The Lord be with you. And also with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Now Jesus said to Nicodemus, Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light, and do not come to the light, so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. In the name of the Father, the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Our second reading for the day, yeah, we have two today. Our second reading for the day is from Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9. From Mount Hor, they set out by way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people became impatient on the way. The people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent poisonous serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many in Israel died. The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord to take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a poisonous serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten shall look at it and live. So Moses made a serpent of bronze and put it on the pole. And whenever a serpent bit someone, that person would look at the serpent of bronze and live again. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The state of humanity is snake bit. The poison of the serpent has entered our collective bloodstream, a metallic taste in our mouth, our whole body going numb. It attacks our nervous system, and it's getting hard to breathe. The deep evangelical groove in my brain keeps pulling me to address the elephant in this verse. This John 3:16. But my need to debunk the narrow interpretation of ye must be born again is easily resisted. 
perhaps as a result of years since those battles were heated for me. Now I do not engage. I don't need to engage. I think we should all be born again. Whatever you mean by it. Rock on. Redemption. Recreation. Rebirth. But right now, I'm more interested in the snake on a stick. While I literally have eaten snake on a stick, both at the Minnesota State Fair and the Beijing Night Market, this is something else entirely. There's some kind of dark, light magic going on in this verse. Nicodemus comes at night looking for something. But Jesus doesn't give him a chance to say what it is. Jesus either senses what he wants or knows what he needs. He tells Nicodemus no one sees the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nick takes the bait and goes into his how can anyone be born after growing old line. Jesus flushes out the metaphor, throws in the spirit, water, wind. Nick's head is reeling. How can these things be? He asks. Jesus says, you're a teacher of the law. You know your Bible. You should be able to understand. So Jesus gives Nick the rabbi a deep track from the scriptures. Jesus references this repentance and redemption story in the book of Numbers. He says to Nick, just as Moses lifted up the serpent on the stick while the children of God were in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Is Jesus messing with this old rabbi? Nick didn't get the born-again metaphor, so Jesus moved on to this allusion to a crazy story in the book of Numbers. It is true that this lifting up of the serpent on a pole seems to be a clear reference to Jesus being lifted up on the cross, but aside from both Jesus and the serpent being lifted up on wooden things, what else do they have to do with each other? How does this help Nick get what he needs? At the end of this book, Jesus will be raised up on a cross where he will die, and it is through that death and resurrection that all are reconciled, redeemed, reborn, making real, full, and eternal life possible. Mercy is made manifest, and love propagates unhindered. In Numbers 21, Moses makes a bronze serpent and places it on a stick and raises it high above his head. All the people who have been bitten by poisonous, fiery serpents need only look up at it, and they will be cured of the deadly venom. They will once again be fully alive. There is a correlation, for sure, literarily, thematically, between humanity's rebirth through Jesus' being raised up and the serpent being raised up, except for this one glaring fact in the serpent story. God is the one who sends the poisonous fiery serpents to bite and kill the Israelites. God provides Moses with a fix to save the people from the gruesome death that God had inflicted upon them. So why does the author of John choose this Old Testament story to illustrate how one gains eternal life? It's kind of a dark story. God gets so enraged that the people are complaining about the food that he sends poisonous fiery serpents to kill them all. Only after they repent does God decide to save their lives by looking to an idol of, their, of the very thing that God was using to kill them. Nicodemus comes at night. Jesus concludes their encounter by telling Nick, 
And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and the people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so their deeds may not be exposed. Does this include Nicodemus because he came at night? Is that Jesus' point? And does that include God because God sent fiery poisonous serpents to kill everyone who complained about the food? Is there something about this rebirth, this recreation and redemption that includes God's past deeds being exposed to the light as well as our own? As Jesus is lifted up like the fiery serpent, doesn't it draw all the venom out of the past relationship between the created and the creator? Is Jesus the recreator? This is a weird and interesting tale. It feels mystic, maybe more magic than theological, maybe theomagical. Is this text a holdover for, from some pre-modern, pre-monotheistic pagan practice of magic? Or is there some significant dialectical relationship between the human ability to speak dissent against the Lord, the Creator, that has the power or the consequence of condemning and separating the created and the creator. And the weirdly theomagic this and this weirdly theomagical story tells us that that same ability of speech also has the power to heal and to reconcile the created and the creator. The created, to the children of God, can are created with the ability to speak to the creator. And what the gods and what God's creation says actually affects the creator. The book of Numbers is the story of the Israelites from the time they leave Egypt to the time they arrive at the promised land. It's when God and God's children get to know each other, or when the creator and the created get reacquainted. By this point in the story, they, God, and Israel have been wandering in the wilderness for so long that it is an all-new generation of grumblers voicing dissent to the deity. All the original members of the band have died, except for Moses. It's good to have at least one original member if you want to play casinos. But they know the material just as well as their parents did. They know the refrain, Why did you bring us up from Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, no water, and we loathe the wretched bread. We loathe the wretched bread, one of my personal favorites by the wandering band, but it seems the Lord God Creator does not agree. The Lord God Creator will listen to, You brought us up from Egypt to die on repeat, but don't play, We loathe the wretched bread. Do not diss the bread. The bread is a gift, a divine gift, and the loathing of it pushes the Lord, Creator God, past the point of tolerance. But they play it, and immediately Lord, Creator God, or LCG as we like to call him, immediately LCG sends fiery poisonous serpents to bite the people, killing many of them. Those who are bit but not yet dead go to Moses and repent, 
they are really sorry, they say. They're so sorry they dissed the bread. Sorry they played. We loathe that wretched bread. They ask very nicely in weak and gurgling voices as the venom begins to paralyze them and their lungs fill with fluid. Moses, they ask, would you please go to the Lord, Creator God, and pass along our apology? Intercede for us and tell the Lord, Creator God, of our repentant souls. Moses does. And the Lord Creator God is moved by their repentance and so tells Moses how to save the people. Moses, following the LCG's instructions, makes a bronze serpent and puts it on a stick and he raises it up and anyone who is snake bit looks up at that serpent of bronze and they are healed, redeemed, reborn, creator and created, reconciled. This is theomythically bizarre. Saving the people in response to their repentance is one thing, but why does the Lord choose the bronze serpent to save the people? It seems to be some kind of sympathetic magic, where a model of a thing is used to affect that thing in the natural world, like pouring water on an altar to produce rain, or using a voodoo doll to afflict the actual person. So looking up at the bronze serpent draws the very serpent's poison from the people. These are pagan practices not usually employed by the creator. Further, what's the difference between a bronze serpent and a golden calf? Because when they first left Egypt and Moses went up to the mount to talk to God and stayed away so long that the people thought God and Moses had left them, they made themselves a golden calf to worship. God did not like the people worshiping the golden calf. And so early on in there, getting to know each other. So God told Moses to make them melt it down and drink the molten gold to punish them for their idolatry. But the bronze serpent. <coughs> the bronze serpent, ordered by the Lord Creator God, to heal the snake bite, which was probably just meant as a one-time magic cure, continued to be worshipped for hundreds of years until the king of Israel, King Hezekiah, destroyed it. Why did the Lord let them continue to make offerings to this bronze serpent for hundreds of years? The Lord could have chosen any way to heal the people. Why use pagan magic? The Lord could have just healed them all instantly or made them eat the bread they said they loathed to be healed. Of course, the Lord could have just chastened them for complaining about the food and not sent all the serpents to kill them in the first place. The choice of the serpent itself as a weapon and a healer is curious. The serpent is the original grumbler in the creation story, telling Eve, he told you that if you eat that, you would die? Come on, surely you won't die. Just eat it, see what happens. The serpent was the first creature to use words to sow dissent against the Lord God Creator. Rabbi Israel Mirha Cohen says that it is precise, this is precisely why the serpent was chosen by God to punish the grumbling, dissenting people. It's the speech 
Speech is a gift of God uniquely given to humans, with the exception of the serpent in Genesis and the ass in Numbers. So to sin against the Lord using speech is the gravest of sins, greater even than murder or adultery, which are sins of passion and the flesh and are not unique to humans. The sin of speaking against the Lord, of sowing dissent against the Lord, sowing dissent into creation with words is punished by the serpent, the one who first brought the sin into the world, infecting Adam and Eve. And it was the first sin from which all others came. That seems like a very possible reason for choosing the serpent to punish Israel in the wilderness. But what is up with commanding Moses to put one on a stick for the people to look to for healing? This has been a year like no other for using words to sow dissent. And maybe we could put maybe like a little blue Twitter bird up on a stick and all who look to it may be reconciled with our creator and with each other and all of creation. Or maybe the theomagical myth that Jesus references when talking to Nick in the dark is a reminder, a reproclamation of the powerful gift that God has given humanity. The miracle that we can use words to create, to destroy, and to reconcile our relationships with the Creator, with one another, all of creation. This is the season, the season of speaking rebirth into the world is and soon will be upon us. This is God's table, and all are welcome. On the night he suffered, Jesus took bread and gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to the disciples to eat, saying, Take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, Jesus took the cup and gave the cup for all to drink, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and shed for all people for forgiveness of sins. Do this and remember me.
Go on with your day or your night, loving justice, doing kindness, at peace in the knowledge that the God of love surrounds you with mercy. Amen.